Okay, uh, we are here today to talk about the Eight of Swords, the very first of the Gemini cards, Eight, Nine, and Ten of Swords. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm, I'm really looking forward to these because they're so full of dread and horror and wicked woe. <laughs> so I think it's going to be fun. The first thing we should do is kind of contextualize these three cards in the larger scheme of the air cards in the sword suit. So as we did with the water cards connecting them to the hangman, we connect the air cards, the swords cards to the fool. What we kind of talked about in the Libra and Aquarius cards in the two through seven of swords, we talked about the fool as sort of a, a journey of wayfinding or navigation where the Libra cards represented kind of the crossroads he arrived at. The Aquarius cards represented the act of navigation using the tools of navigation. And then with the Gemini cards, we are talking about making the choice. So you hit the crossroads, you use your tools, and then you commit to making a choice. Yeah. And then we have the breakdown within the Gemini cards, the lovers, the eight. Oh, we, all, we also oh, yeah. have the breakdown of the suit of air because now we're in mutable cards. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So we had, so the two, three, and four were the cardinal Libra cards. The five, six, and seven were the Aquarius fixed cards. And now we're in the eight, nine, and ten Gemini mutable cards. So the the breeze is leaving. <laughs> yeah, right. We had the, uh, you the, know. Uh, dissipation of the force of reason. <laughs> <laughs> the decay of the Ruach. Right. <laughs> the fool becomes a little unhinged. <laughs> yeah, he starts out knowing nothing. And by the end, he has made a choice. But whether it's the right one is anybody's guess. So the Gemini cards are uh, the lords of interference or shortened force, cruelty, and ruin. I sort of think of these three cards together as sort of, you know, uh, paralysis, anxiety, depression, <laughs> different forms of mental trauma or stress. Um, and I think that you can think about that also as being aspects of choice, like when you're confronted with choice, how there's a moment of sort of like mental static, which right. we feel. And, you know, choice is usually between binaries. You know, Gemini, the twins, everything is divided into two sides, the light and the dark side. Yeah. And so it's almost as if these Gemini cards are showing you the dark side. Right. And know? also the fact that something has to be killed off if you want to end up yeah, with one to, option. to make a choice, you have to make a sacrifice. Yeah. You know, maybe the, uh, the eight of swords is that moment where both still exist, but you know that that can't go on. And then the nine is where you gather the uh, ruthlessness to figure out which one you're going to kill off. And then the 10, you're committed you to kill it. it off. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's almost like in the eight, you have too many choices and you're, yeah. pa you're paralyzed by choice because you kind of, your mind wants to dart around and do it all. Yeah. You know? It's like you're trying to buy something online and you have 10 tabs OCD open. <laughs> or something. Right. Yeah. And then, you know, the nine, you have to make the choice to go through it as hard as it is. And then in the 10, the final cut. Right, right. It's like the nine involves the process of elimination, maybe like, you know, killing off the things that you know you can't do. But that's a sacrifice. 
And, uh, and we don't like that. Exactly. You know, you want it all. Exactly. I'm going to try real hard in these three cards to find the good side of them too, because I think that's important. But subjectively, everybody has a hard time with these cards. Yep. Unless they're Marseille readers, in which case they have a wisdom beyond us all. <laughs> okay, so this is the Lord of Interference or Shortened Force. That's so interesting, isn't it? Mm -hmm. um, what is Shortened Force? It's almost as if it was chopped off. Hmm. Yeah, chopped off by the sword of the lovers, by the chopping off the pillar of force where the wheel of fortune is, right? But I'm getting ahead of ourselves here. But shortened force is really interesting because it sort of speaks to that like effort and then cutting off. Effort, effort and then, then cutting blockage, off. right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's interesting also given that we're coming from the Seven of Swords, whose alternate name is Unstable Effort, right? So we went from Unstable Effort to Shortened Force. In the Seven, the effort kind of proceeds and fits and starts. And in the Eight, there's like a will that's pushing it, but there's also something blocking it. Yeah, it's almost as if in the Seven, the problem is internal to the person, yes. whereas in the Eight, it's like an accidental unforeseen thing that blocks you. Yeah, stick in the bicycle wheel. Right. <laughs> I call it the monkey wrench card. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. That's great. So like, yeah, and that's the same difference between futility and interference, right? Which are the other names for the seven and eight of swords. The futility is internal, but the interference is li literally External, somebody right. interfering. <laughs> yeah, right. You know, even though I usually stick to the Crowley names, I really do think that the Golden Dawn titles have something to add sometimes when they definitely do. You know, I, I like, yeah. I always look at both and, and, you know, yeah. merge them together in my mind and see what comes out. Right. So here we have Jupiter ruling over the first decan of Gemini. Uh, it is in detriment. So now this is so interesting, right? Because the reason it's in detriment, or the way to think of it, I guess, is that Jupiter's in rulership in Sagittarius. This is the opposite sign, so right. Jupiter's in detriment. Just as if you use classical rulership, Jupiter's in rulership in Pisces, and then in detriment in Virgo. But what's interesting to me about that is that Jupiter is always in detriment in signs ruled by Mercury, right? Isn't right. that cool? It is, and... It's kind of funny because you would think that Jupiter being kind of expansive and airy would be so compatible with mercurial things. It's you kind would of think curious. so. I mean, I, I always like to think of this as like father-son issues between Zeus and Hermes, right, you right, know, yeah. like the kid who's always like rebelling and yeah, stealing totally. shit. Yep. <laughs> yep. And, and this yeah. is a double Mercury card. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. We, sh we will definitely have to go into that closer when we get to the Kabbalah stuff because so it's the eight being associated with the Sephira Hode, which is the Sephira of Mercury. Isn't it true that I'm not sure I have this right. Was it the first act of Hermes that he stole the cattle? I think so. Yeah. I think he did yeah. yeah, of his father. Oh, and you know, something I didn't know this the last time, which I wish I had, was that when we were talking about Odysseus and the Seven of Swords, did you know Hermes was the great grandfather of Odysseus? That makes sense. Doesn't it? Totally. Yep. You know, <laughs> it explains you know a what? lot. That's weird because um, Hermes was also the great grandfather of Jason. So they oh, must be uh, really? peers. Yeah. You know? 
Yeah. <laughs> I was talking. Jason of the Argonauts. The right. Jason of the Golden Fleece, in case anyone's going, who the hell are you talking about, Jason? Right, that Jason. Yes. I was talking about about this with Randy this morning, and I think he said that Laertes, Odysseus's father, might have sailed on the Argo. And, you know, and I love to think of, like, you know, the father providing this sort of expansive view, but the the son exploiting and taking advantage of it rather than being grateful and humble, getting whatever he can out of it, right? Yeah. And uh, I think that there's maybe in the contrast of Jupiter and Mercury in this card, there might be something about like very sort of near focus, details oriented breakdown of, you know, things that's native to Mercury versus the sort of big picture you know, forest for the yeah. trees, Jupiter thing. And that that goes with what um one of the interpretations of the this card is, you know, too much attention paid to small details at the expense of the greater, you know, or, you know, paying attention to small and unworthy things. Yeah. Forest for the trees. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. exactly. This is probably, I guess, the least pleasant of the Jupiter cards, I guess, if the other ones are um so we've got Jupiter in Leo in the victory card or six of wands and then Jupiter in Libra in the truce or rest from strife, four of swords, Jupiter in Capricorn in the change or two of discs card and Jupiter in Pisces in the nine of cups or happiness card. So we've got victory, truce, change, happiness and interference. Wah, wah, wah. <laughs> exactly, yeah. right? You know, partially it might be the Jupiter in Gemini as the detriment, but also it's the tree of life position. You it know? is. Off Which, the middle pillar you know, the, and low yeah, on the tree. If you're, if you're not in the middle and you're down low, usually it's... So it was bound to be like this, I guess. The time of year is May 20 or 21 to May 30th, thereabouts. Lovely time of year. Nothing special about it, I guess, esoterically for us. You know, what's interesting about the time of year, even though there's no particular cross-quarter or quarter holidays, is that, um, you know, we're going to talk about a theme of Gemini as being these twins Mm -hmm. split. And Mm -hmm. one thing to say about that is Gemini and Sagittarius. So here we have Jupiter, Sagittarius, and Gemini. Mm -hmm. And the light half of the year is when the sun going through the ecliptic is above the earth from Mm -hmm. Gemini to Sagittarius. And the dark half of the year is from Sagittarius to Gemini when the sun is below the earth. So it's almost like another story of these polarities of light and dark that we're going to encounter all through this. Exactly. And there is definitely a moment of handover from the Ten of Swords to the Two of Cups, which we talked about a little bit in the Two of Cups as sort of like, you know, the beginning of the darker half of the year or the beginning of the, the, the diminishing of the light. And then we can talk about that more uh with when we get to the ten of swords but but you're right there's that moment where like the moment of the twins is that recognition of the duality between the two halves of the year and when we Mm -hmm. get to yeah when we get to the 10 we're at the end right before the um the equinox exactly that's the turning marriage of the lord and the lady or the death of the king also the Mm -hmm. the, uh that's where 
day and night is equal, mm-hmm. but that's where the light starts to decrease diminish. and diminish. And when you get all the way to the solstice, that's you know the battle between the oak king and the holly king, and the right. holly king takes over the dark half of the exactly. year. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, it really is an interesting moment. And the associated majors are the Wheel of Fortune and the Lovers. So there's so many different ways we can go with that. I always think of this card, my shorthand for it in my mind is the the card of fate versus free will, because I think of, you know, fortune as fate, and then the lovers as the choice, Choice. the free will. And it's what happens when you're in that moment where you have these two great forces, the immovable object and the irresistible force, and what are they going to do when they meet together? Another thing that's that I think is sort of abstractly implied by that is you can almost say that it's the expansion fortune of choice, mm, right? Like we were saying yeah, before. Indeed, this card is yeah, too many choices. Too many choices. <laughs> and it's I, I think that's why there's so many references to Eden that you see, mm-hmm. you know, in the lover's card, for example. You know, there's that moment when... You have to choose whether you're going to eat the apple or not. That's and a choice. And then you do, and then there's a consequence. <laughs> exactly. Because that, that's the point at which everything gets divided between light and darkness, you know? Right, right. So that is like, you know, the story of eight, nine, and ten of swords is a lot of stories, but one of them is the fall from Eden. You can see that in the eight where the choice is presented, the nine, the act is done, and then the ten where the consequences fall upon them. So... Um, it's really, really interesting to think about like what the role of the tree of knowledge is with this card, how those two forces of fate and the the ability to choose a life of knowledge or not, a life or death really, uh, played out. And um, so in a sense, it's like happening over and over again in this card. It's also extra swordsy, <laughs> you know, because the lover's card Hebrew letter association is sword, you know, and we have the eight swords. So in well, all the, the eight, nine, and ten are extra yeah, swords. Yeah, extra swordsy swords, right? <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Yeah. The eight in particular, though, because of the, the connection the, with the mind. Mercury in the right. mind. Yeah. yeah. Yep. We take it for granted, I think, that swords are associated with the mind because, you know, that's just tarot common lore. But it's really interesting to think about the mind as a sword that cuts away, you know, it penetrates, it discerns, but it cuts away as well. And that's what we're doing every time we make a choice or a decision, for better or for worse. (laughs) Yeah, all these like parallel worlds collapse when you (laughs) make a choice. Yeah, it's sort of like, you know, a collapse of quantum possibility thing. Yeah, we started talking a little bit about uh, the Kabbalah stuff. And I think that's pretty important with this card. I think it's, you know, really easy to make the connections and really evident. So as you were saying, eight is the number of Hode, the number of Mercury in Yetzirah. And the presence of Mercury is doubly strong, as you were saying, also because Mercury rules Gemini. So he has a double presence in this card. It was kind of like when we have a planet ruling a decan, and then it's also in its spheres, as we did with the uh, 
four of swords, the five, six, and seven of cups, and the eight, nine, and ten of wands. This, however, is the presence of the planet through ruling the sign, Gemini, and its presence in the Sephira um, hode, which represents the brilliance of the mind. What is it that we usually translate hode as? I think that's usually splendor or glory. Is it glory. So I guess the idea being that the power of the human intellect is our crowning glory. Here's something interesting that I, I hadn't really thought about before this card, but in the Kabbalah tree, Rachel Pollock talks about how the eights represent the fifth day of creation. So take away the three supernals and start from Chesed, and you have, you know, four, five, six, seven, yep. eight, the fifth day of creation, when all the animals and species were, you know, created in all their variety. So, you know, again, there's that proliferation of choices, that sudden, like, massive explosion of uh, diversity in the world. And, you know, and that's also interesting, because we associate swords with Yetzirah, the Yetzirah being the blueprint for the world, right? So it's almost like at that point, you know, the architect just starts printing out plan after plan after plan <laughs> and saying, you know, this is how we're going to manifest stuff in the real world. And then God created the platypus. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I have a quote here from Isabel Rado Kliegman. She has that Tarot in the Tree of Life book about the minor arcana. And she says that Hode brings the needed structure and containment, but the swords bring to Hode not energy, but more ideational form, so in which our thoughts become cyclical and obsessive. So applies to this card. Yeah, sure does. So like if you take the sort of systems analysis that goes on in Hode and you have the mental energy of swords behind it, what you get is a sort of like massively paralyzing cogitation going on, the mind running in circles like a hamster in a cage. Feedback loop. Feedback loop. Good times. <laughs> as scary as the eight, nine, and ten of swords are, people recognize themselves in it. You know, you don't have to do a lot of reading. A lot of them, the time they'll just see the card and they'll be like, oh my God, that's me. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, numerically, the eight is also really interesting cosmological model, I think, you know, you have the Bagua in the, uh, mm -hmm. for the I Ching, but you also have the eight channel model of consciousness. Mm -hmm. So there's something really mental, uh, generally the about the eight. Like, Chaos magic. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, and I think that there's something in all eights, but in this eight in particular, about what the mind does when it's still. The eight if you look at an eight-spoked wheel, it's also like a compass. It's yeah. also, you know, pointing in every direction. <laughs> and, mm -hmm. you know, again, that speaks to the diversity of Gemini and yeah. all the choices. Yeah, exactly. Which um, way do I go? In the Marseille decks, they have, you know, the four swords sort of bent, you know, it, forming a mandorla like they do um, in all of the even ones. But then they have... Uh, the little tiny flower in the middle, which to me is like the, the flower of consciousness. And it's it's almost like it's in a sensory deprivation chamber. What is the role of being deprived of the senses? Is it to find light or is it to be lost in darkness? I think we'll see that with the blindfold later as well. The cardomantic references. 
I know that the Eight of Spades is interpreted a lot the way we interpret the Eight of Swords. I have a note here saying it's temporary, everyday sorrows and frustrations. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I don't know if you ran across this, but a lot of the references seem to have to do with the temporary nature of this card. Yeah, I definitely think it's a temporary affliction that Mm -hmm. you have to use your your will to overcome. (laughs) You have to use your perception of it. You have to see it clearly, you know, and decide what to do and make your choice. And you can't give up. You got to have patience and go, okay, I'm there's this thing that I have to deal with now. Patience is definitely called for with this card, whether it's because you need to wait it out or because you need to sort of back up and, you know, find a solution. Yeah. But I think the natural tendency with this card is just to go and get really frustrated. Yeah. And also, you know, the the idea that it's the wheel of fortune implies temporariness, really, because it's always changing. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, even more so than than we'll see in the in the nine and ten cards, despite the fact that they also are in mutable Gemini. The interpretations of Ateya all had to do, interestingly enough, with criticism or critical moment, critical time. So, so it's interesting that criticism and you know crisis are cognate in the sense that they're both about pointing something out, sort of like this is special. You know, in criticism, this is special because there's something wrong with it and I need you to fix it. Or in crisis, because this is a special moment where everything kind of comes to a head. So he has a lot of these synonyms for crisis, like, you know, the decisive instant, the delicate circumstance, blame, condemnation, judgment, scorn, things like that. And then the reversals are not that great either. <laughs> like uh, difficulty, hindrance, obstacle, delay. So on the one hand, the upright meanings, they're all about, you know, the, the pressure of the moment and the reverse meanings seem to have to do with the forces arrayed against it, the obstacles and the delays and the things like that. And what the Golden Dawn, I think that your quote that you brought in before was too much force applied to small things. Mm-hmm. I mean, that kind of alludes to that pressure of the moment and how the knife can be kind of like an elephant gun to a mosquito, you know, that like by overthinking things, you fail to see the answer. It's sort of like if you're trying to write and you start editing immediately as you're writing, right. then you don't write because, right. <laughs> you know. Yeah. It goes back to the patience thing. Yeah. And I was thinking about patience in relation to this card, it occurred to me that with Jupiter, the antidote or the companion is Saturn. And Saturn's all about perseverance and patience. Right. In a way, here's something interesting. Consider this. So like on the tree, the opposite of the eight is the seven. In elements, the opposite of air is earth. So maybe the antidote to the eight of swords is the seven of disks. You know, like yeah, where you just have to sit there and wait. Yeah, and that card is all about endurance. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. That's food for thought. It sure is. <laughs> cool. All right. Deccans. Oh, these are really super interesting because they have to do with the knowledge of numbers, right? And calculations. So mm-hmm. the... Picatrix has writing, computation, and number, giving and taking, the sciences, and the Deccan signification from 
Agrippa is wisdom and the knowledge of numbers and arts in which there is no profit. <laughs> That's funny. How is it's the, almost like the trivial yeah. things, like you know, all the yeah. wormholes, whatever. You know, there's no profit in in that. It's well, you just, can you, you just you're so easily distracted, <laughs> you can't help yourself. This is what's so funny. I mean, here's Agrippa, right? You know, he's he's writing in a time when the STEM sciences were really not valued that much. So the knowledge of numbers was considered an art in which there was no profit. You know, the that's, humanities that's so were a lot funny. bigger then. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> that is funny. You know, these tie in beautifully with Austin's description of the Deccan as uh, having to do with Eve taking a bite out of the apple of Eden. So the ideal is that I think he says something about like, take a bite of the apple and the world suddenly bifurcates into ones and zeros, you know, right. a Good stream of numbers. Yeah, you, right. All of a sudden, you, you're naked. <laughs> right, <laughs> right. It's like, it. what's this? It's <laughs> good. I'm evil. Oh, jeez. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like you get the concept of good and evil, along with the knowledge that you're the evil one right. <laughs> at the same time. Yeah, exactly. The descendant of Cain. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> the actual images... They're interesting, too. Are interesting, too. Uh, the Picatrix has a beautiful woman, a mistress of stitching, two That's calves really and two horses. It really is, like, especially with your card, right, With which has the thread of fate wrapped right. around the wheel. Right. I often consider this card the snagged bobbin card. Yeah, I can you know? see why. And because in my card, it looks like a snagged bobbin. <laughs> it exactly does. And I mean, I when I first saw your card, I was like, oh, my God. It's literally... When a bobbin snags in a sewing machine, it's because the wheel of the bobbin can no longer spin because it's been snagged in the needle, the sword, yep, sign the, sword the lovers, the right? <laughs> right? Sword in the wheel, you know, and yep. and at that point, you have to figure out what and you're going to do. At that point, you go, you start swearing and you, you lose patience right. and you want to rip you, the thing apart instead of patiently untangling it. Right. The last thing you want to do is force it. I so. sometimes call this card the tangle. But anyway, so yeah, so you got to cut the thread or you got to unwind it or you got to do something, but you got to have patience for that yep. and, uh, and sort of enter that Zen state uh, rather than just yanking on it and hoping because if you screw it up if you do that on your sewing machine you will mess up the the timing and you cannot fix timing easily so don't break the wheel of fortune the other interesting thing in this um picatrix image Mm -hmm. it says two calves and two horses right so there's the twins two by two the twins and it makes me think of the Two two by two animals, Whoa. Oh, two by two animals of the ark. Yeah, and it also makes me think of the stars of Gemini. The gamma star, the third one, mm-hmm. is uh, Alhina, and it's in Pollux's heel, and it's. Name has something to do with the brand or mark on a horse or camel. Really? Yeah. Which Neat. I thought was really interesting because it mentioned horses, and it made me think, yeah. oh, okay. And then you know the. There's the whole Mark of Cain thing, you know, right. the brand. Right. Cain and Abel are, you know, another mm-hmm. another, another set, set of, of twins, twins of yep. good and evil, or mortal and immortal. Yeah. There's all sorts of stories with twins that maybe we'll talk about when we get to yeah. Gemini, uh, just in general. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think, uh, I, think I, is, there, I have a lot of notes about Cain and Abel on the nine, I think. Yeah, something like that. But Cain and Abel or Castor and Polydeuces or Polydeucus. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Also known as Pollux. 
So a man in whose hand is a rod, that's the uh, the one that Agrippa has, and he is, as it were, serving another. Now, I don't know if that's like serving in the sense of like he's beating him up or whether he's helping him. Yeah, that's really interesting. It's a weird, weird it, phrase. What it, it made me think a, a little bit about Mercury or Hermes the rod being the caduceus in his hand and, you know, serving Mm -hmm. the gods, serving Zeus as the messenger. Could be, just speculating. But all of these um, Deccan images and signification descriptions all are kind of mercurial and and Jupiter, Gemini, you know. um, Mm -hmm. You can see it in them. The rod could have something to do with his knowledge, with his you know, special skills. Maybe it's like a magician's Could be a wand. magic wand. Right. I just don't want to say that. <laughs> exactly. Or a ruler. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah. know? Right. Yeah. I just wanted to throw something in there about the proliferation of options and how that can be a curse. It can be paralyzing because you don't right. know what to choose. Right. There's a, there's a scene in Harry Potter uh, in the books and in the movie where Harry Potter and his friends are looking for you know, a horcrux. They're looking for a cursed object in a vault and that they're not supposed to be in. And the vault has a curse on it that they discover as they're trying to do this called the Gemino curse. Every single thing you touch splits in two and then they split in two. So you have this exponentially, you know, this is the downfall of the thief that they no longer can find the thing they're looking for, and then they will get suffocated and stuff. <laughs> yeah. So it's, yeah. uh, I've also heard uh, an expression called the curse of the multi-talented. Mm. You know, because you have so many interests, yeah. and you don't want to put all your energy into one because that means you're sacrificing the others. Yes. So you become yeah. kind of a jack, jack of, all of all trades. trades. Oh, God, that hits home. <laughs> yeah, me, me too. Yeah. I had that problem. Yeah. I still have that problem sometimes. Yeah. I had I struggled with that for most of my life until I finally like kind of pared it down and said, okay. Okay. So let's talk a little bit about Gemini the sign before we go into the card by card. So it's the sign of the twins, of course, as we were mentioning. I always feel like Gemini tarot readers have it kind of the worst of everybody because of the cards that are associated with it. Yeah, I think I when I when I was doing the art for the deck, I made sure to make I put a lot of effort into trying to make the art beautiful, even if it was scary. scary. Yeah, <laughs> right. right. <laughs> and that was for all the Gemini's um, out yeah. there because I was like, "Damn, dude, you got some, you got some nasty." <laughs> <laughs> so, so Gemini is the day sign of Mercury, Virgo being the night. In some ways, I think some people would say more mercurial than Virgo because it's an air sign. Right, and not yeah. earthy. Yeah. And Mercury is an airy planet. That makes sense. Yeah. It's two word, keyword is I think. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Yeah. They do indeed. You know. They think and they talk. <laughs> <laughs> right. And the, there's tremendous curiosity. There's immense uh, intellectual ability, ability mm-hmm. to pick up technical skills. Very fast. Very, very fast. Yeah. And I think the, the difficulty I think any Gemini would say or have said to me is being able to focus and being able yeah, to have longevity. Easily distracted by... Everything shiny. That, exactly. The next new thing that is exciting and interesting. Right. There's also a lot of, I think, writers and more than just writers, but 
storytellers. Yes. You know, people that have the ability to build bridges between the archetypes of light and darkness yeah. in a successful way. Yeah, this is really interesting. Just yesterday, I was listening to an astrology podcast, and they were talking about, so there was some confusion over, originally over Obama's birth chart. And some people thought he had a Taurus rising, and some people thought he had Gemini rising. And the host of the podcast, I think it was Chris Brennan, was saying all along, I thought it had to be the Gemini rising because of his gift for oratory, mm, right? Yeah. And that is definitely a thing with Gemini. I think because not only because the sun is in the sign ruled by Mercury, but so often Mercury's near the sun and it's in Gemini. It's always yeah. sort of near the sun. Yeah. 28 yeah. degrees, 27 degrees. Well, I think degrees. it has to be within, yeah. It's either so within it's, 27 or 28 degrees of Right, the so sun. it can only be like in the sign or one sign to the before or after. So you get a lot of people who have Mercury and Gemini who are also sun and Gemini. And I think that like, uh, this has been true of every Gemini I knew. They can talk. They really can. And there's a natural flow and ease Whereas those of us who are Mercury and Virgo, it's not as obvious with me now, but I was a person who didn't talk. You know, I just would not like... It's not at all obvious. No, it's not at all obvious now. I got over it. (laughs) But literally for eighth grade, I did not say a word the entire time. And, you know, people would talk to me and I'd be like... I've also had trouble like coming up with enough to say. Like that was my original problem. Mercury and Virgo, it's like... Well, I said that sentence and that was exactly what I meant to say and I'm done, right? So coming up with a thousand words, real problem. Yeah, I have that problem too, but it's different because I have Mercury uh, conjunct Neptune. Oh, I see. So yeah, I have all sorts of very far out (laughs) thoughts, (laughs) but how to to translate them into actual words that other people will understand. Um, So yeah, that's a typical characteristic that we see with Gemini. Yep. So maybe we can talk a little bit about the constellation, Mm -hmm. Gemini, Mm -hmm. and the mythology. I mean, we all know Mm -hmm. that the Gemini is the twins, and Castor and Pollux were the Dioscuri, born from Leda having an affair, an intramarital affair (laughs) uh, with Zeus, of Mm -hmm. course. Who else? (laughs) And so one of the twins was her husband's, and one of the twins was Zeus's. So they one were fraternal. Was, <laughs> one was mortal and, and one was immortal. The mortal one gets killed. The mortal one is Castor. And Castor is also considered kind of the, the good one, mm-hmm. whereas Pollux is the, you know, the dark one. <laughs> He's the immortal one, but he loved his brother so much that he said, I will not accept my immortality unless my brother can share in it. So he, begged his father and his father gave in and and let them share so half of the time one of them is immortal and the other one's dead and yeah. vice versa <laughs> right right i guess yeah. that's better than both being half alive <laughs> right and it's twin stars are they of equal magnitude in the sky no so the alpha star is castor mm-hmm. but Interestingly enough, Castor isn't actually one star, it's a system of six stars. So even though it's the alpha star, it's not the brightest star or the lucida star. The lucida star is the beta star, which is Pollux. Oh, interesting. So biggest versus brightest. Yeah, Yeah. I guess. Yeah. Which is 
kind of strange. You don't see that very often. Castor was a horseman, so again, back to horses. Pollux was the Arabian word for that star was Raseljus, if that's <laughs> how you pronounce it, and it means the head of the twin. Hmm. And that's probably because it was the brightest, the yeah. lucidest star. Yeah. And then there's the gamma star, Alhina, as we talked about, the, the mark, the brand on the horse of the camel. And then there's a star cluster in Gemini called M35, and it's pretty pretty cool because it's like a cluster of over 200 stars that is around the size of the full moon. It's wow. pretty pretty large area um, when you look at it. If you look at the, the fixed star mythology and, and meanings, so uh, Ptolemy says that Castor is of the nature of Mercury and Pollux is of the nature of Mars. Another astrological authority, Robson, says that Castor has keen intellect but was prone to violence and Pollux was crafty, rash, and connected to poisons. <laughs> Charmers. Yeah, right. <laughs> so yeah, Castor was the refined one and, and Pollux was the, the brutish one. And uh, they were both mischievous, Mercury. Mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. Castor was said to be the more mischievous one and sometimes violent, mm -hmm. and Pollux was sporting and fond of sports, but cruel. And then you see a little mm -hmm. bit of the, the yeah. story of these cards there. You do, you do. And I think, well, first of all, the relationship between Zeus and Hermes is replicated a little bit in that. But also, it sounds a little bit like the disparity you see between Cain and Abel, you know, there's mm -hmm. always the good twin and the bad twin, right, exactly. the gentle twin and the, the light and violent the darkness, twin. Yeah, all that. Yeah, and I think you're right. The story really plays out in these three cards. It really does. You yeah. see it, the, the cruelty and the trickster, like in the eight, this mm -hmm. accidental, you know, interference that's blocks you is kind of like Mercury the trickster. So, yeah, you know, here you go. <laughs> How do you like this? <laughs> right. You know, there's just sort of like a a theme of twinning you can look at in the sequence from Jupiter to Mars to Sun, eight to nine to 10 of swords, each planet ruling one decan, because the Jupiter is like the father, you know, and then the Mars is like the act of violence, the death of one twin, and then the Sun is a, is a twin card as well. You know, it's sort of like a both twins in their place. And yeah, and that card, the 10 with the Sun, it's the sun obviously is a symbol of light, but that, that card also has a lot of darkness. Yeah, it Being does. a 10 in the universe yeah. and, you know, yeah. Saturn. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> so exactly. light and darkness in that yeah. one. So I thought that was kind of interesting because it seemed to play out through the decans. Yeah, it does. Cool. Um, the other thing, mythology for the constellation is in, in Egypt. Um, it was seen as a pair of sprouting plants. Oh, neat. In Phoenicia, it was a pair of goats, <laughs> for whatever reason. Uh, in Mesopotamia, it was naked twin boys. Mm. Um, in Rome, besides the, the traditional story we have here, Romulus and Remus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. Right. Um, and the Chinese saw this all about water, interestingly really? enough. All the stars were, were named after. But it was, wasn't just about water. It was about the water and the the punishments for the squandering of water. Shall we go to Rider-Waite-Smith? Sure. Have a look at the lady in the blindfold? Yep. Yeah, so this is a super interesting uh, depiction of the Eight of Swords. I think 
is is the first of that sequence which people find so disturbing. <laughs> I think it has that kind of shock value when people see it because, you know, she seems to be in such a dreadful position. Wait said of this card, a woman bound and hoodwinked with the swords of the card about her. Yet it is rather a card of temporary durance than of irretrievable bondage. The meanings he gives are bad news, violent chagrin, crisis, censure, power in trammels, conflict, calumny, also sickness. Reversals, not so great either. Disquiet, difficulty, opposition, accident, treachery, what is unforeseen, and fatality, wheel of fortune, things that cannot be controlled. The upright meanings tend to be more about the free will side of it, it seems like, and the reversals seem to be more about the fate side of it. What's going on in this card? Is she... Is I've, she bound in toilet paper? Or <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, binding and hoodwinking, we talked about this in the Two of Swords, are really initiatory things, um, yeah. again, about the death of the ego and, you know, uh, attaining higher knowledge. So a lot of the time I've told people who were first encountering this card that it's like that you're going through a rite of passage. Yeah. So, you know, it's nothing to be scared of, even if you have a bit of fear and trembling. You know, the other thing that Mm -hmm. I thought was interesting about the blindfold is that I read that when the sun is in the sign of Gemini, the star Sirius, which is such an important bright star, can't be seen. Oh, no Because it's out during the day at that time. Oh, And so I was like... Ah, oh, what's up with that, you know? Yeah, <laughs> you know, that's kind of interesting. So Sirius is out during the day when the sun is in Gemini, so the dog star can't be seen. Yeah. Cerberus, so the dog star is back down in the underworld, or is it the opposite? <laughs> I, mm-hmm. I haven't been able mm-hmm. to wrap my head around that. Yeah. that's. <laughs> but I thought that was food yeah. for thought just when Certainly I saw is. the blindfold and... Like the the bright star, that bright star of Sirius can't be seen. Like there's like it's almost like you're you're missing something. Like not seeing the forest for the trees. The uh, amber stones say in the secret language of tarot, they have a thing about blindfolds, and they say something about how like the blindfold either serves to bring you to your inner light or your inner darkness. That muting of your senses either leads to insight or to loss. I think it's interesting that also when you look at the card that the uh, the blindfold's white, but the bindings do look like toilet paper. <laughs> you know, they're kind of like gray and smudgy. And, yeah. You know, so I think there's a real difference between the Two of Swords and the Eight of Swords as far as the Two of Swords is clearly someone who's willingly undergoing initiation. The Eight of Swords is sort of like you're undergoing initiation, but you didn't choose it and you didn't mean to and you're struggling against it that's why I guess the bindings are gray because there's there's no purity of intention behind it. And she's clothed in red, which is the color of life. She's not an acolyte like the woman in white in the Two of Swords. She's someone who just kind of stumbled into this situation, you know, like a shamanic initiation, didn't want to do it, but that's what's happening. Another thing that people often point out about this card is that the swords are not threatening her in any way. There's no one guarding her. The bindings are pretty loose. If they're toilet paper, she could just walk through them. <laughs> but uh, but also the fact that she's on the muddy ground. So now there's two ways to look at mud. I actually looked up mud in the symbol dictionary just for fun. And 
you know, they said about mud that, of course, it is the combination of earth and water. It is, if you look at it from the earth side, the water makes the earth fertile. From the water side, though, earth pollutes the water. So there's like a positive and a negative way of interpreting mud. Mm-hmm. And I think that's kind of key to this card. And it's um, also something that you get stuck in. It, you can get stuck in it, right. Or you can grow things in it. And I think the choice is really yours here, um, which one you intend to do. But I think also if you imagine yourself in that position, standing on mud, not being able to see you feel very insecure. You feel very unsure of what your next move is. The other thing I was thinking about, the fact that it, you know, that shows the water there to make it mud is it might be referring to that some of the cause of the difficulties with these blockages is how you emotionally respond to them. That's right. It's sort of like your unconscious is seeping up and... Because blockage is just, oh, yeah. it's just a thing to deal with. Yeah. But the thing that causes the problem is how you feel about it. That's the sword stuck in the mud. So your mental processes are stuck, you know, in, in engagement feeling. with yeah. your feelings, yeah. in, with your unconscious and yeah. can't do anything with them. Right. The other thing I was wondering, if there's any intentionality about putting five swords on one side of her and three on the other. I was like wondering that about that five and too. Three. Is it like a is Mars, Mars Saturn? Saturn? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. High five. Yeah. 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 What's up with that? Or, yeah. you know, Gibora, Bina. Or... Well, it could be like, so Mars is the disruption. This mm-hmm. is definitely a disruption, the monkey wrench thrown in your path. Mm-hmm. And Saturn is the patience that you need to deal with it. Yeah. Or you can think of the three of swords versus the five of swords. Also, you know, you have the heartbreak of the three of swords and then the sort of like unfairness of the five of swords and then you in the middle stuck. It's just worth remembering again that the temporary state of this situation. I mean, first of all, the, you know, the ground is in a temporary state ground doesn't stay muddy like that. It will either dry up or it'll get wetter. But also, you know, I think it's important to stay aware of time when you're in one of these situations and whether time is your friend or your enemy when you're in any frustrating (laughs) situation, right? Can you wait it out like a rhinovirus, you know, or are you better off taking some kind of action, you know, the lover's side of it? Yeah. So to wait is the fate side of it. To take action is the lover side of it. You know, I think those are both reasonable options. But I guess the the message of the card is not to get too caught up in the, you know, in the frustration of not knowing the right move right at that moment. Yeah, that's exactly it. There's a certain restlessness, like with this card, like you want to do something, you want to do something, but you're kind of like, not sure. Yeah, and there's a a mixing of sort of the positive and negative aspects of the consequences. Like if you wait, things are going to change, but you lose your moment of choice, right? right? And if you choose, then you get you have the agency, you are the one in control, but you have to say goodbye to something. That's going to happen whichever way you go. Years ago, when I was in a job in a in a field that I didn't particularly resonate with, accounting. <laughs> That's very apt for this card. I, I drew a picture of um, this card, the Rider Waite Smith version of it, mm-hmm. um, 
with myself bound in calculator tape <gasps> and the swords were paintbrushes because that's what I really oh, wanted to do. Oh, wow. <laughs> do you have, still have that picture? I that's do somewhere. So I, cool. I do have it somewhere, yeah. Wow. And you didn't know about the Deccan significations at that point, probably. <laughs> <laughs> no, probably, probably not, not as much. Um, yeah. Yeah. As I do now. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's the reason I felt so stuck because, you know, don't want to leave a job, security, but my yeah. true heart wanted to, to move on and make that choice. <laughs> that's so cool. Well, if you do happen to find it, that would be a cool thing to post on Patreon. I know I have to. it. Where it is, I can't tell you, <laughs> but it's here somewhere. That's really neat. If I'll try... Calculator I'll try tape, to, huh? <laughs> I'll try to find it and... um. I have a couple of ideas where it could be, and if I do, yeah. I'll, uh, I'll post it. That would be neat. Let's see what else is going on. Well, there's that castle in the background, too. I was trying to think last night what that could represent. The Whenever kingdom, I say castle, I ask so if it could of be the Malkut. the approaching ten, you know, yeah. the, the sequence of eight, nine, ten. Yeah, I mean, if you could imagine being in Hood, sort of looking from the side down at Malkut, that mm. could be the case. Yeah. <laughs> or it could just sort of be, you know... Sometimes mountains, because this is sort of a castle on a mountain, can represent the big climb, the huge obstacle that you have to mm. attain. And that makes sense. Just how daunting the task is, you know, how distant it is and how far away help seems to be. Mm. But again, it's really, I think this card can be such a Rorschach test for, you know, what kind of outlook you have on life, right? Depending on how you view each element in it. On to Thoth? The Lord of Interference. Uh, it's. I think it looks with those two, you know, swords hanging right down in the middle, just like a Gemini glyph. It does. You know? <laughs> I'm sure that's on purpose. Yeah, <laughs> I'm sure it is. I like what um, Lon Milo Duquette said that this looks like a precursor to the Blacklight poster. <laughs> I was like, it sure does. <laughs> that's awesome. So, what does he say? Uh, he says just to review what he says about eights. They're attributed to Hode being in the same plane as the sevens on the Tree of Life. On the other side, the same inherent defects as are found in the sevens apply. Yet. The eights come as, in a sense, a remedy for the error of the sevens. The mischief has been done, and there is now a reaction against it. One may therefore expect to find that while there is no possibility of perfection in the cards of this number, they are free from such essential and original errors as in the lower case, meaning the seven. So this is sort of like an immune system response. This is the fever you get, the chills, the uh, sniffly nose that accompanies your... uh, your infection by the seven. <laughs> he also says, uh, card is attributed to Jupiter and Gemini, as we've talked about. There's no weighing down of the will by internal or external stress. It's simply the error of being good-natured when good nature is disastrous. Kind of sounds like the hmm. five. It, yeah, I was just about to say that. Yeah. Yeah. That's his way of looking at things, I guess. He talks about the intellect of Gemini and the optimism of Jupiter, which will not do in the world of swords. I think he mentions something about a lack of persistence in intellect and contest. Yeah, he does. But there's yeah. good fortune even with the, the ill that comes up that's accidental. Yeah. That's the Jupiter. Like, even if things aren't good, you have the luck of Jupiter still. <laughs> right. The will is constantly thwarted by accidental interference. Oh, he uh, trivial incidents have often altered the destiny of empires. So, so it's like, um, yeah. for want of a nail, the kingdom was lost kind yeah, of a thing. Right. Yeah, exactly. Like that. Yeah. 
Yeah, those little unforeseen glitches can have huge consequences. The space right. shuttle, you know? Yeah, yeah, the O-ring. Yeah, exactly. Little trivial part. Little trivial things. Monkey wrench. Well, these swords are super inter- interesting. Did you Google them? I Googled them. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, um, I did not have time to Google them. I wrote down their names, which I'm sure you will tell us again, but I have them. Uh, but Go what for I was, it. What I was yeah. no- uh, so uh, if I can pronounce them, let's see. Yeah, with best guess, right? All right. The Chris, the Kukri, the Scremasax. Hey, I didn't get the Kukri. How do you spell that? K-U-K-R-I. Dang. Okay. The, so the Chris, the Kukri, the Scremasax, the Dagger, the Machete, and the Yadagan. Yeah. Hang on. I'm just going to look up Kukri because uh, the other ones, I kind of know what they are. So as far as those those daggers go that jaggedy one at the top i think that that's an attempt to depict a chris but the chris does not actually look like that the chris is, has a wavy blade so yeah yeah, yeah I've you, seen you've those, seen those like fl- almost like a flame yeah. uh, painted on a car yeah, or something. It's, <laughs> it's cool because they're made of like they have a shimmery effect that's from two different kinds of metal i think the like the iron is a and blended with nickel on one side or something like that so that they have this, you know, they they really look cool. They're Indonesian. But I have a feeling that maybe he was trying to explain what it looked like and she instead, you know, drew this jagged thing because he was trying to explain the zigzag and maybe that's how it came out. But it's the only one that really makes sense with that. Mm -hmm. And then we just Googled the kukri. That's definitely the second one down. Um, and then the third one, I really had a hard time figuring out what it could be because it's not a dagger. Um, it's not a scramasax, which is supposed to be sort of a straight sword. And it could be a machete. I think it's the machete. It looks kind of machete-like. It does to me. Yeah, let's call it a machete. Let's do So that. we've got Chris, we've got Kukri, we've got machete. That leaves the Yadagan, the dagger, and the Scramasax. Okay, this is a real problem because the Scramasax is essentially a straight uh, blade. It's sort of a Saxon, French Saxon mm. thing. And the only one that's straight is the one that's next that to the bottom. The that's got to be a dagger, right? Yeah, right? yeah, and the Yadagan is sort of a curved blade so it could no, be let's either call, let's call the middle one the scramasax and then the bottom one the again <laughs> let's huh? do that why not, why not? <laughs> who's gonna stop us exactly all right so so the fourth one down from the top we're calling the scramasax uh, which is uh, sort of a sharp plain uh supposed to be straight frankish knife the fifth one from the top we're calling the dagger and the final one is the yadagan which is supposed to be sort of like a short saber and it's you know, the pictures I've seen are not as curved as that, but, you know, it could be her idea. And it just kind of looks cool. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, the important thing about the fact that there are these six different types of swords is that they're all shorter than the other ones. They're all daggers of mm-hmm. a type, in a sense. So shortened force. Yeah, yeah, got it. And yeah. the mm-hmm. the second point about that everyone is different is that 
is another way of saying too many options. Yeah. Too many and- knowledge paths to choose from. <laughs> and you can just imagine like in a knife fight, you know, how these two long swords are intended for kind of, you know, action at a distance, reach. Jupiterian reach, you know, and yeah. dominance from a horse. But then you have these like nasty thugs coming up with these short swords and just cutting you down. Reminds me of the boot dagger you have in the Seven of Swords a little bit. Ability to cause great damage from a short distance. <laughs> you can tell a lot in these um, minor cards of Lady Frida by whether she used same kind of implement or different. Yep. You know, like, for example, in the Seven of Wands, you have that big club in front versus the six sort yeah, of normal looking right. ones. They, she tells a story with the kind of... Uh, pips she uses but in a way it also looks like those um two long swords are blocking the six smaller ones they do like the choices are being blocked somehow Mm -hmm. yeah and then there's the pinwheels in the background if you look at the the wheel of fortune the lovers and the uh eight of swords and thought there's there's definitely a strong purple Jupiter influence Mm -hmm. happening. The pinwheels in the back remind me a little bit of the lightning bolts in the fortune card. Onward, let's move on to the snagged bobbin in the tabula (laughs) mundi card. God, I love that. (laughs) Tangle. Lots of elements from each of the majors. This card, the monkey wrench, the tangle and the push pull. (laughs) Nice. Yep. So from the, uh, Wheel card, we have the thing that looks like a wheel with the eight daggers, and those daggers are actually uh, called poniards, which is a small but extremely sharp dagger, and thus shortened force. From the wheel card, we have the uh, Vajra with the thread, Mm. uh, the thread of fate, and it's getting wound up in that bobbiny thing. (laughs) And um, the... Lion and the Eagle are from the Lover's Card. Um, they're from an old alchemical illustration. I think the idea of of alchemy is kind of important in this card, mm-hmm. that that division, the separatio stage, yeah. where something's divided into two and there's this duality and, and things are... Um, battling it out well the, the name of the the illustration is called the battle of soul and luna yeah for and sure masculine feminine you mm-hmm. know that's why the the sun and the the moon are are there in the card mm-hmm. the other thing that the um the bobbiny thing calls to mind is adrian's ball that she used I don't know. to oh, ariadne ariadne yeah adriani's ball that uh she uses to you know, find her way through the labyrinth. Mm-hmm. Yes, and a it labyrinth does. is a is a is a maze where you have many choices of paths to take. And yeah, so she, she used that to like find her way through it and make the choices. That's cool <laughs> to help to help Theseus. Uh, That's kill right. the Minotaur. That's interesting because I, you know, I think of the Eight of Cups as a labyrinth as well. So there's sort of that eight, the ability of the eight to create complex paths, but also the possibility of getting lost in them. So that maze metaphor really. What's, what's actually interesting is um, in the Rosetta Tarot, mm-hmm. I have a labyrinth on the Seven of Discs, which we talked about oh, as the antidote yeah. to this card in a way. Yes. So <laughs> yep. sort of like leading your way out of it. Yep. Hmm. That's cool. And it's just interesting to think about labyrinths as, you know, um, um, they're places to get lost in, but they're also places to achieve 
contemplation, stillness of the mind. Mm-hmm. So the big sphere, uh, orange spheres, is that a hood, mercury, yep. orange thing? <laughs> yeah. yeah, behind the uh, bobbin-like structure with the yep. poniards. Yeah, so yeah. basically it's a card, you know, the push-pull between these two opposing forces. It's making decisions between, you know, too many choices and, and yeah. distractions and knowing what to discard and what to integrate. It's the conflict before union, you know. It's really interesting to think about how in your deck these two figures kind of interact in different ways. Um, you know, you see them on the lovers, you know, in a sense. Yeah, if they of, were, mm-hmm. the, I think I mentioned in, in the description in book M that if these two separated figures mm-hmm. were united, they'd be a griffin, you know, mm-hmm. a powerful guardian. Yeah. But instead they're they're working at cross purposes because it's a distraction they're getting all tangled up in in right small things and not thinking about the bigger picture which is union the eventual right. union of the emperor and the empress yes because that's who they are yep. as well mm-hmm. oh the colors of the card mm-hmm. um we should do that mm-hmm. so the uh, red russet is the primary color and then we have all the colors of jupiter so the violets and purples and tinge blue and the blue purple and mm-hmm. the blue rage yellow um and then we have all the colors of the lovers uh the dunkin donuts colors of, uh, <laughs> orange pale mauve new yellow leather and uh reddish gray inclined to mauve in my card the background in the printing looks very purple but it mm-hmm. was it was originally a, a red russet but with some purple mixed in mm-hmm. the purple kind of took over in the printing mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. it is what it is yeah it still works because pur- purple works. is jupiter so. you expect the purple to be in there <laughs> right, you know exactly it seems all on purpose and shit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so i yeah i really like that contrast of the sun and the moon and the sort of attempt to reconcile the opposites it's interesting to think about right because in the art card you have the opposites being reconciled and here they're just fighting <laughs> yeah so that yeah that's interesting so the art card which is opposite Gemini, exactly, right? Exactly, Sagittarius. So, so the, the, you have to go all the way right, around to get to reconciliation. Yeah, is is it's is the yeah. other side of the axis. So the salve versus and, the and coagula. that's kind of I think what's um, important to remember about this card is the idea of alchemy and you know the process of separation and and yeah yeah reunion. Right, you use the lovers Gemini Zion sort of separation, and then you have uh, the Sagittarius. The art card is about bringing things together, even though the Hebrew letter, the Samech, the prop doesn't really give us much to work with in terms of metaphor. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, in the sense that a support or prop is the opposite of cutting something down. Yeah. Right. right. Yeah. Yeah. Let's see. So, are we on to practical applications? Okay. I think so. You get this one much? I get this so much. I get it a lot, yes. <laughs> I had trouble getting it all in one page. Like, like, oh, this again? <laughs> That's kind of what I think when I see it, too, is, oh, this yeah, again? Yeah, yeah. Well, that makes sense because we both have all this, like, Jupiter and Mercury happening. So, yeah. yeah. <laughs> what happens when you get it? Well, usually it's that I know that there'll be some minor snags that, to yeah. deal with. And, um that's okay, because usually, you know, this with this card, you still have good luck with this card. It's just that there's crap to deal with along yeah. the way, you know, irritations and 
Traffic Frustrations, jams. yeah, getting behind the school bus. Exactly, <laughs> or the kid missing the bus and you having right. to take them. Right. <laughs> yeah, I have, oh God, so many spot-on uh, interpretations of this card, like uh, parking problems, uh, lots of those. I literally had it one day when I had to go fix somebody's sewing machine. They were asking me to fix their sewing machine because of this problem, yeah, and yeah. I couldn't fix it, yeah. <laughs> of course. Slow download speeds, just mostly being irritated and exasperated for, with people for no reason, yeah. usually because... Kind of petty things, yeah, too, usually. totally petty you know? things, and also like because my Mercury is accustomed to getting its way. Austin told me the other day that my Mercury has like 10 reasons to be out of control and extreme. And it's like, I am not a Gemini Mercury person. I'm a Virgo Mercury person. And I do not deal well when, you know, when there's any sort of jam in the works. I'm, I'm accustomed to things going speedily and quickly and nothing getting in the way. That's right, just the right. way they're With supposed economy to go. of motion. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. I don't like this card, but I get it all the time. Yeah. And oh, yeah. And that whole sort of like too much force applied to small things. Boy, it's like it is a wormhole card, too. Yeah. You know, is. getting right. distracted and by the trivia. on little details. Like you start yeah. thinking these little things assume so much importance when like. When they don't. When they, they don't. don't freaking it's like matter. When, it's like when you're painting a room. And you're yeah. obsessing over like the edge of the ceiling and the room or painting a ceiling and like yeah. these little mistakes and you're trying to touch them up with the tiny paintbrush. You know what? You're never going to see That's that right. again. That's never. right. You're, you're the only one that knows it's there and even you will not see That's it. Right. Yeah. Randy told yeah. me he used to, one of his first jobs was in a painting business and he said, you never have to go with a little brush near the ceiling because your eye will fix it. All right. Oh, one uh, yeah. last thing. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things that I was just playing with for for these three decans mm-hmm. just for fun is trying to come up with a three-word rhyming like spell cool for each one and for yeah. this one it was unbind the mind unbind the mind fantastic i can't wait to hear the others that's great unbind the mind yeah i'm writing that down so um so that's a good three-word summary let's get the summary <laughs> <laughs> Shortened force, <laughs> cut it right off here. <laughs> so uh, interference yeah. and shortened force. Uh, we talked about Jupiter in the sign of its detriment, Father in the sign of the sun and them not getting along very well. Mercury as the trickster. We talked about uh, the contrast with his other Jupiterian cards, the Four of Swords, the Nine of Cups, the Six of Wands, and the Two of Discs, Choose Happiness, Victory, and Change. Uh, fate versus free will. The snagged bobbin. Mis- Ca- Castor and Pollux. <laughs> and Cain and Abel. Yep, light and darkness. Storytellers and wordsmiths. The expansion of choice. And the the apple of the Garden of Eden, the fall. The uh, light half of the year and the dark half of the year from... Gemini to Sag and from Sag to Gemini. And the opposition of those two in alchemy. Uh, the Wheel of Fortune and the Lovers. Uh, the decision paralysis that comes from the proliferation of options. Obsessive compulsive disorder. Overdose of swords uh, from the eight and yep. the air D- and mercury. the double mercury. This is the only card as uh, of Jupiter's that Pops Jupiter's bubble a little. <laughs> <laughs> Literally, with the sword. Yeah. The uh, Hode in Yetzira, so the proliferation of 
ideas and systems in the world of the imagination or mind. The fifth day of creation, the variety of creatures. The monkey wrench and the unforeseen tangle. I was going to say something about the difference between the eight of discs and the eight of swords, since they're both mercurial in their way. But I don't really feel like it anymore. <laughs> it's long enough. We've got a sun in Gemini later, and we can yep. contrast it with the sun in Virgo there that way. Go. I forget. There's something else I forgot <laughs> to say too. You know how we were talking about you know the tree of life and stuff. Well, we didn't talk about the, the golden dawn description at all, and I won't read it. But one thing I notice is that it says that in this card, the rose is re-established. And so I was thinking about that. Okay, re-established. It's only re-established if you're going up the tree. Mm -hmm. You know, if you're going from the nine to the eight, because, um, you know, in the nine, it said the rose is utterly destroyed. Right. Uh, but in the seven, there's a five-petal rose in bloom. The model that they were talking about for those card descriptions that they use... Um, is going upward. Is going upward. So I thought that was interesting. Back to the summary. Forest for the trees. Missing the forest for the trees. The jack of all trades and the master of none. Gemini cards in general as cards of choice, starting with uh, approach to choice in the eight, the rejection of options in the nine, and the commitment in the ten. The six different kinds of daggers. That was fun, <laughs> figuring that out. Yeah, right. It was. The sun versus the moon in your card. Star that cannot be seen when the sun is in Gemini. In the battle of soul and Luna. The lack of persistence. Sharpen the mind. And oh, the knowledge of numbers and arts in which there is no profit. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Okay. Well, we hope you have profited from our very, very long record breaking discussion well, of this it had card. It's long because it's a Gemini card. Exactly. We talk. We had to talk, talk, talk. <laughs> <laughs> and we will be back next week with the terrifying but necessary Nine of Swords card. See you then. <laughs>